Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the third Sunday in Lent, and we're about, we're about halfway through this Lenten season. Amazingly, three weeks from now will be Palm Sunday, and we'll enter into Holy Week, followed uh, thereafter by the glorious season of Easter. And I wonder, how, how are you all doing with your Lenten disciplines at this point uh, in the season? No one wants to answer, I see. If you're like me, I'm guessing some of you are, uh, maybe you have faltered a time or two. I'll confess to you uh, that I actually broke one of my Lenten disciplines uh, right out of the gate on day two of Lent. Uh, My wife and I decided that for for this particular Lent, we were going to, among other things, give up a a certain kind of food, a food that I I really love, uh, and I was doing really great on Ash Wednesday. And then the very next day, I was sitting in my office right here in the building behind the church. Uh, I was sitting there, lunchtime came around, and I decided that I would go to one of my favorite little sandwich shops a couple of blocks away, and without thinking, I ordered uh, that very thing that I had decided to give up. Uh, It wasn't until I got back to my office, uh, and after I'd eaten a few bites of that delicious sandwich that I realized the error of my ways, Uh, I finished the sandwich because I didn't want to be wasteful. And I called my wife, Catherine, and I confessed my blunder. And she said to me, you know, it's okay to start again. So if you've had a slip-up like me, as we sometimes do, then it's, it's okay to start again. If at this halfway point in Lent you've not given up anything or taken on some new spiritual discipline, then, then there's still time. That try, try some of those things that we talked about on Ash Wednesday. Prayer, the reading of, of Scripture, giving to the poor. Try some of those things. It's, it's okay to start late. It's okay to start today. There is still time uh, to grow in those disciplines. There was an article in the New York Times magazine last week about, about Lent. Uh, in it, the writer uh, Rachel Howard discussed how, how she made her way to the Episcopal Church because of the season of Lent. How many of us joined the Episcopal Church because of Lent? Not, not many of us, I'm guessing. But she says that Lent was extremely moving to her during a hard time in her life. She says at one point in the essay that, that the Lenten season is a passage moving us from paranoia to metanoia. She says, from literally being out of our minds to being reconciled with our true minds through repentance. Moving from paranoia to metanoia and being reconciled through repentance. I think that's a a great definition of Lent. Repentance, as you all know, is at the heart of Lent. And, And it's what our gospel reading from Luke chapter 13 is, is all about today. We're in Luke chapter 13 and we're hearing this, this strange story about two tragedies followed immediately by an even more strange parable. Jesus, we're told as he is traveling to Jerusalem, is having a conversation with his disciples and with a, a crowd of people who are gathered to, to hear him teach. And they're talking about uh, the tragic incidences for which we, we have no record. There's no record outside of this, this account of these things happening. Uh, they say that Pilate uh, murdered a group of Galileans and mixed their blood with, with the sacrifices uh, they were making in the temple. And then Jesus talks about the death of, of 18 people when the, the Tower of Siloam collapsed. 
And the question, I think, the question that they are asking Jesus as they're talking about these tragedies is, is the very same question that we often ask in the face of death. Why? Why these people? Why, why these victims? What, what did they, they do? Was it because of their sin? Was, was this God's will they seem to be asking? And we all ask the very same questions, and we've been doing it for, for millennia. If you've studied religion at any point in your life, then you will know that we call this theodicy. Theodicy is, is all about trying to answer that why question. Why, why does a good God prevent, permit evil to happen uh, in the world? Entire libraries could be filled with the books written on the theodicy question. Why these people, Jesus? What, what did they do? And Jesus responds by asking them a question. Do you think that, that their suffering means that they were worse sinners than all of you? And you can almost hear them begin to say, well, maybe... And if we're being honest, then I think we all think this from time to time. If, if, if I sin, then maybe God will punish me. It might be, I think, one of our, our greatest fears. But notice what, what Jesus doesn't say and what he, he does say when he responds to these people. Jesus doesn't say that sin won't cause calamity in our lives. And you all know this. Sin can be insidious. Sin can be damaging. Sin can be deadly. If you mistreat your body in some sinful way, then you could get hurt. If you mistreat a friend or a loved one in some sinful way, then you can damage a relationship. Sin can cause great pain in our lives. Pilate's terrible sin of murder caused great calamity in the lives of those Galilean people. Our sins in our lives can be just as destructive. Jesus doesn't say in this passage that sin isn't calamitous. But what he does say is that divine punishment does not happen as a result of our sin. Or to say it in a simpler way, tragedy is not the will of God. Evil is not the will of God. Suffering is not the will of God. Our, our own sin or someone else's sin may cause those, those tragedies to occur in our lives, but don't think that God willed those things to happen. God doesn't work like that. William Sloan Coffin he was the longtime pastor of the Riverside Church in, in New York. Uh, in 1983, he delivered a, a very moving sermon to his congregation, and this sermon took place 10 days uh, after the sudden and unexpected death of his son Alex in a, in a really tragic car accident. Uh, he talked about in that sermon how the, the great temptation that many of us have after someone dies to, to speak on behalf of God by saying things like, that must have been God's will. He says, for some reason, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their minds that God doesn't go around this world with his fingers on triggers, his fists around knives, his hands on steering wheels. God, he says, is dead set against all unnatural deaths, which is not to say that there are no nature-caused deaths, but he says the one Thing that never should be said when someone dies is it is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that, Sloan writes. Do you think that because those Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans? Do you think that, that those 18 killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, were they worse offenders than, than all the others living in Jerusalem, Jesus asks? And his answer is no. No, it, it wasn't because of their sin. Don't, don't look at these tragedies, he says, and think that they did something wrong to deserve that. 
Don't look at these tragedies and think that you are, are godly or holy or less sinful people than they were. That's not it, he seems to say. But Jesus says, unless, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. I wonder, in the, in the face of tragedy, are there things for which we, we need to repent? Things that we've done that we need to stop doing? Or, or maybe there are, are there things that, that we know we should have done, things that we know that we must do, but we choose not to do them anyway. We're a little more than a, a week out from a tragedy that took place across the world, a gunman killing 50 people in a mosque in New Zealand. Certainly, this was not our sin. None of us did that abhorrent thing. But, but how are we choosing to respond? How do we respond or, or not respond when we see violence like that happening across the world or, or in our own country? How do we respond or, or not respond when we see religious violence or, or discrimination of some sort? Bruce reminded us last week in his sermon, and if you didn't listen to it, go, go online and listen to it because it was extremely powerful and poignant. He reminded us that, that stopping hateful rhetoric, stopping violence in our midst is up to us. He said it takes courage, but when we act courageously, then that courage can cause others to act as well. Repentance isn't, isn't just about being freed from some guilt that we might be carrying around for a, a misdeed that we've done. It's, it's not just about feeling sorry for our sins. Repentance is about living in a new way, charting a new course. Repentance is about being, uh, to use a biblical phrase, repairers of the breach, restorers of the chasms that our sins or the sins of others have so often created. Repentance is a call to act. I think that, that Jesus is saying to, to these folks that the, the why question, the why question is not nearly as important as the how question. We can spend all of our days asking, why did this happen to me? Why did God allow this thing to take place in my life? Or we can ask the more important question, how am I living my life? How am I seeking to turn away from sin? How am, I, how am I working to strengthen my relationship with God, my relationship with my neighbors, my, my relationship with myself? How, how are you living your life right now, Jesus asks? And how are you helping others to live? Repent, Jesus says. It's, it's not too late to turn away from those things that are causing our death. Start, start today. It's okay to start right now. Repent and live, he says. The passage goes on just a little, a little further, and Jesus concludes his, his discourse on repentance with a parable, the, the parable of the, the fig tree that bears no fruit. He says, a, a man planted a fig tree. The fig tree used up lots of, of nutrients but didn't produce any fruit. Why should I let this, this do-nothing tree use up the good soil? The man asks. Cut it down, he says to his gardener. But the gardener replies, let it be for just, just one more year. I'll do, I'll do all that I can. I'll do everything for it. Just, just let it be. Let me take care of it. And we can see what happens. If it bears fruit, good. If it doesn't, then we can cut it down. Just let it be for one more year. One can read this parable in, in many different ways. Lots of good explanations for it. But, but what if the the simplest and the straightforward explanation is the best one, and that is that the fig tree, it still has time to produce fruit. That's why Jesus tells us this story. The fig tree still has good work to do. The fig tree is, is still alive. Life's 
fragility, I think, gives us urgency. Life's fragility gives us urgency. I think that's what this this strange passage is all about. I think that's what this season of Lent is all about. Life is precious. Each day, every week, each year is valuable, but as we all know, death is inevitable. So take life seriously, Jesus says, for for none of us knows when it may suddenly come to an end. Repent, Jesus says. Turn away. Turn away from those things that are causing us pain and strife and agony and turn toward toward that which offers us peace and, and life and hope. Break free, Jesus says today. Become unstuck and live as God wants you to live, bearing good fruit in the world. I love that prayer that that Reinhold Niebuhr, the the brilliant 20th century theologian, wrote, and that's been adopted by by Alcoholics Anonymous and lots of other 12-step programs. Most of us know the the first part of the prayer, but I'll end with with the prayer in its full uh, form because I think it's a a great prayer for Lent uh, and an even better prayer for uh, all the days of our life. So let us pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the way of peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life, and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen.